Chapter Two of French Medieval Romances from the Lays of Marie de France. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alison Velders. French Medieval Romances from the Lays of Marie de France by Marie de France. Translated by Eugene Mason. Chapter Two. THE LAY OF GUGEMAR Hearken, O oh gentles, to the words of Marie. When the minstrel tells his tale, let the folk about the fire heed him willingly. For his part, the singer must be wary not to spoil good music with unseemly words. Listen, O oh lordlings, to the words of Marie, for she pains herself grievously not to forget this thing. The craft is hard. Then approve the more sweetly him who carols the tune. But this is the way of the world, that when a man or woman sings more tunably than his fellows, those about the fire fall upon him pell-mell for reason of their envy. They rehearse diligently the faults of his song, and steal away his praise with evil words. I will brand these fellows as they deserve. They, and such as they, are like mad dogs, cowardly and felon, who traitorously bring to death men better than themselves. Now let the japer and the smiler with his knife do me what harm they may. Verily, they are in their right to speak ill of me. Hearken, O gentles, to the tale I set before you, for thereof the Bretons already have made a lay. I will not do it harm by many words, and here is the commencement of the matter. According to text and scripture, now I relate a certain adventure, which bechanced in the realm of Brittany in days long gone before. In that time when Arthur maintained his realm, the now in peace, the now in war, the king counted amongst his vassals a certain baron named Oridio. This knight was lord of Leon, and was very near to his prince's heart, both in council chamber and in field. From his wife he had gotten two children, the one a son and the other a fair daughter. Nogent he had called the damsel at the font, and the damselon was named Gugemar. No goodlier might be found in any realm. His mother had set all her love upon the lad, and his father shewed him every good that he was able. When the varlet was no more than a child, Oridial sent him to the king to be trained as a page in the courtesies of the court. Right serviceable was he in his station, and meekly praised of all. The term of his service having come, and he being found of fitting years and knowledge, the king made him knight with his own hand, and armed him in rich harness, according to his wish. So Gugemar gave gifts to all those about his person, and bidding farewell, took leave, and departed from the court. Gugemar went his way to Flanders, being desirous of advancement, for in that kingdom ever they have strife and war. Neither in Lorraine nor Burgundy, Anjou nor Gascony, might be found in that day a better knight than he, no, nor one his peer. He had but one fault, since of love he took no care. There was neither dame nor maiden beneath the sky, however dainty and kind, to whom he gave thought or heed, though had he required her love of any damsel, very willingly would she have granted his desire. Many there were who prayed him for his love, but might have no kiss in return. So seeing that he refrained his heart in this fashion, men deemed him a strange man, and one fallen into a perilous case. In the flower of his deeds the good knight returned to his own land, that he might see again his father and lord, his mother and his sister, even as he very tenderly desired. 
he lodged with them for the space of a long month, and at the end of that time had envy to hunt within the wood. The night being come, Gugabar summoned his prickers and his squires, and early in the morning rode within the forest. Great pleasure had Gugamar in the woodland, and much he delighted in the chase. A tall stag was presently started, and the hounds being uncoupled, all hastened in pursuit, the huntsman before, and the good knight following after, winding upon his horn. Gugamar rode at a great pace after the quarry, a varlet riding beside, bearing his bow, his arrows, and his spear. He followed so hotly that he overpassed the chase. Gazing about him, he marked within a thicket a doe hiding with her fawn. Very white and wonderful was this beast, for she was without spot, and bore antlers upon her head. The hounds bayed about her, but might not pull her down. Gugamar bent his bow and loosed a shaft at the quarry. He wounded the deer a little above the hoof, so that presently she fell upon her side. But the arrow glanced away, and returning upon itself, struck the Gugamar in the thigh so grievously, that straightway he fell from his horse upon the ground. Gugamar lay upon the grass beside the deer which he had wounded to his hurt. He heard her sighs and groans, and perceived the bitterness of her pity. Then with mortal speech the doe spake to the wounded man in such fashion as this, Alas, my sorrow, for now am I slain. But thou, vassal, who hast done me this great wrong, do not think to hide from the vengeance of thy destiny. Never may surgeon and his medicine heal your hurt. Neither herb nor root nor potion can ever cure the wound within your flesh. For that there is no healing. The only balm to close that sore must be brought by a woman, who for her love will suffer such pain and sorrow as no woman in the world has endured before. And to the dolorous lady, dolorous knight, for your part you shall do and suffer so great things for her, that no, not a lover beneath the sun, or lovers who are dead, or lovers who yet shall have their day, but shall marvel at the tale. Now go from hence, and let me die in peace. Gugamar was wounded twice over by the arrow, and by the words he was dismayed to hear. He considered within himself to what land he must go to find this healing for his hurt, for he was yet too young to die. He saw clearly, and told it to his heart, that there was no lady in his life to whom he could run for pity, and be made whole of his wound. He called his varlet before him. Friend, said he, go forthwith, and bring my comrades to this place, for I have to speak with them. The varlet went upon his errand, leaving his master sick with the heat and fever of his hurt. When he was gone, Gugamar tore the hem from his shirt, and bound it straightly about his wound. He climbed painfully upon the saddle, and departed without more ado, for he was with child to be gone before any could come to stay him from his purpose. A green path led through the deep forest to the plain, and his way across the plain brought him to a cliff exceeding high into the sea. Gugamar looked upon the water, which was very still, for this fair harbourage was landlocked from the main. Upon this harbour lay one only vessel, bearing a rich pavilion of silk, daintily furnished both without and within, and well it seemed to Gugamar that he had seen this ship before. Beneath the sky was no ship so rich or precious, for there was not a sail but was spun of silk, and not a plank from keel to mast but showed of ebony. Too fair was the knave for mortal man, and Gugamar held it in sore displeasure. He marvelled greatly from what country it had come, and wondered long concerning this harbour and the ship that lay therein. Gugamar got him down from his horse upon the shore, and with mighty pain and labour climbed within the ship. 
he trusted to find merchantmen and sailors therein but there was none to guard and none he saw now within the pavilion was a very rich bed carved by cunning workmen in the days of king solomon this fair bed was wrought of cypress wood and white ivory adorned with gold and gems most precious right sweet were the linen cloths upon the bed and so soft the pillow that he who lay thereon would sleep were he sadder than any other in the world the counterpane was of purple from the vats of alexandria and over all was set a right fair coverlet of cloth of gold the pavilion was litten by two great waxen torches placed in candlesticks of fine gold decked with jewels worthy of worth a lord's ransom so the wounded knight looked on ship and pavilion bed and candle and marvelled greatly Gugamar sat him down upon the bed for a little because of the anguish of his wound after he had rested a space he got upon his feet that he might quit the vessel but he found that for him there was no return a gentle wind had filled the sails and already he was in the open sea when Gugamar saw that he was far from land he was very heavy and sorrowful he knew not what to do by reason of the mightiness of his hurt but he must endure the adventure as best he was able so he prayed to god to take him in his keeping and in his good pleasure to bring him safe to port and deliver him from the peril of death then climbing upon the couch he laid his head upon the pillar and slept as one dead until with vespers the ship drew to that haven where he might find the healing for his hurt gugamar had come to an ancient city where the king of that realm held his court and state this king was full of years and was wedded to a dame of high degree the lady was of tender age passing fresh and fair and sweet of speech to all therefore was the king jealous of his wife beyond all measure such is the wont of age for much it fears that old and young cannot meet together and that youth will turn to youth this is the death in life of the old the castle of this ancient lord had a mighty keep beneath this tower was a right fair orchard together with a close shut in by a wall of green marble very strong and high this wall had one only gate and the door was watched of warders with night and day on the other side of this garden was the sea so that none might do his errand in the castle therefrom save in a boat to hold his dame in the great assurity the king had built a bower within the wall there was no fairer chamber beneath the sun the first room was the queen's chapel beyond this was the lady's bedchamber painted all over with shapes and colours most wonderful to behold on one wall might be seen dame venus the goddess of love sweetly flushed as when she walked the water lovely as life teaching men how they should bear them in loyal service to their lady on another wall the goddess threw ovid's book within a fire of coals a scroll issuing from her lips proclaimed that those who read therein and strove to ease them of their pains would find from her neither service nor favour in this chamber the lady was put in ward and with her a certain maiden to hold her company this damsel was her niece since she was her sister's child and there was great love betwixt the twain when the queen walked within the garden or went abroad this maiden was ever by her side and came again with her to the house save this damsel neither man nor woman entered in the bower nor issued forth from out the wall only one man possessed the key of the postern an aged priest very white and frail this priest recited the service of god within the chapel and served the queen's plate and cup when she ate meat at table 
Now on a day the queen had fallen asleep after meat, and on her awaking would walk a little in the garden. She called her companion to her, and the two went forth to be glad amongst the flowers. As they looked across the sea, they marked a ship drawing near the land, rising and falling upon the waves. Very fearful was the queen thereat, for the vessel came to anchorage, though there was no helmsman to direct her course. The dame's face became sanguine for dread, and she turned her about to flee because of her exceeding fear. Her maiden, who was of more courage than she, stayed her mistress with many comforting words. For her part, she was very desirous to know what this thing meant. She hastened to the shore, and laying aside her mantle, climbed within this wondrous vessel. Therein she found no living soul, save only the knight sleeping fast within the pavilion. The damsel looked long upon the knight, but pale he was as wax, and well she deemed him dead. She returned forthwith to the queen, and told her of this marvel, and of the good knight who was slain. Let us go together on the ship, replied the lady. If he be dead, we may give him fitting burial, and the priest shall pray meekly for his soul. Should he be yet alive, perchance he will speak, and tell us of his case. Without more tarrying, the two damsels mounted on the ship, the lady before, and her maiden following after. When the queen entered in the pavilion, she stayed her feet before the bed, the joy and grief of what she saw. She might not refrain her eyes from gazing on the night her heart was ravished with his beauty, and she sorrowed beyond measure because of his grievous hurt. To herself she said, In a bad hour cometh the goodly youth. She drew near the bed, and placing her hand upon his breast, found that the flesh was warm, and that the heart beat strongly in his side. Ugamar awoke at the touch, and saluted the dame as sweetly as he was able, for well he knew that he had come to a Christian land. The lady, full of thought, returned him his salutation right courteously, though the tears were yet in her eyes. Straightway she asked of him from what realm he came, and of what people, and in what war he had taken his hurt. Lady, answered Gugumar, in no battle I received this wound. If it pleases you to hear my tale, I will tell you the truth, and in nothing will I lie. I am a knight of little Brittany. Yesterday I chased a wonderful white deer within the forest. The shaft with which I struck her to my hurt returned again on me, and caused this wound upon my thigh which may never be searched nor made whole. For this wondrous beast raised her plaint in a mortal tongue. She cursed me loudly with many evil words, swearing that never might this sore be healed, save by one only damsel in the world, and her I know not where to find. When I heard my luckless fate, I left the wood with what speed I might, and coming to a harbour not far from thence, I lighted on this ship. For my sins I climbed therein. And without oars or helm this boat ravished me from shore, so that I know not where I have come, nor what is the name of this city. Fair lady, for God's love, counsel me of your good grace, for I know not where to turn, nor how to govern the ship. The lady made answer, Fair sir, willingly shall I give you such good counsel as I may. This realm and city are the appendage of my husband. He is a right rich lord of high lineage, but old and very full of years. Also he is jealous beyond all measure, therefore it is that I see you now. By reason of his jealousy he has shut me fast between high walls, entered by one narrow door, with an ancient priest to keep the key. May God requite him for his deed. Night and day I am guarded in this prison from whence I may never go forth without the knowledge of my lord. Here are my chamber and my chapel, and here I live, with this my maiden to bear me company. If it pleases you to dwell here for a little, 
till you may pass upon your way right gladly we shall receive you and with a good heart we will tend your wound till you are healed when gugamar heard this speech he rejoiced greatly he thanked the lady with many sweet words and consented to sojourn in her hall a while he raised himself upon his couch and by the courtesy of the damsels left the ship leaning heavily upon the lady at the end he went to her maiden's chamber where there was a fair bed covered with a rich docile of broidered silk edged with fur when he was entered in this bed the damsels came bearing clear water in basins of gold for the cleansing of his hurt they staunched the blood with a towel of fine linen and bound the wound strictly to his exceeding comfort so after the vesper meal was eaten the lady departed to her own chamber leaving the knight in much ease and content now gugemar set his love so fondly upon the lady that he forgot his father's house he thought no more of the anguish of his hurt because of another wound that was beneath his breast he tossed and sighed in his unrest and prayed the maiden of his service to depart so that he might sleep a little when the maid was gone gugemar considered within himself whether he might seek the dame to know whether her heart was warmed by any ember of the flame that burned in his he turned it this way and that and knew not what to do this only was clear but if the lady refused to search his wound, death for him was sure and speedy. Alas, said he, what shall I do? Shall I go to my lady and pray her pity on the wretch who has none to give him counsel? If she refuse my prayer because of her hardness and pride, I shall know there is naught for me but to die in my sorrow, or at least to go heavily all the days of my life. Then he sighed, and in his sighing lighted on a better purpose, for he said within himself that doubtless he was born to suffer, and that the best of him was tears. All the long night he spent in vigil and groanings and watchfulness. To himself he told over her words and her semblance. He remembered the eyes and the fair mouth of his lady, and all the grace and the sweetness which had struck like a knife at his heart. Between his teeth he cried on her for pity, and for a little more would have called her to his side. Ah, had he but known the fever of the lady, and how terrible a lord to her was love! How great had been his joy and solace! His visage would have been the more sanguine, which was now so pale of colour because of the dolour that was his. But if the knight was sick by reason of his love, the dame had small cause to boast herself of health. The lady rose early from her bed, since she might not sleep. She complained of her unrest, and of love who rode her so hardly. The maiden, who was of her company, saw clearly enough that all her lady's thoughts were set upon the knight, who, for his healing, sojourned in the chamber. She did not know whether his thoughts were given again to the dame. When, therefore, the lady had entered in the chapel, the damsel went straightway to the knight. He welcomed her gladly, and bade her be seated near the bed. Then he inquired, "'Friend, where now is my lady, and why did she rise so early from her bed?' Having spoken so far, he became silent and sighed. Sir, replied the maiden softly, you love and are discreet. Be not too discreet therein. In such a love as yours there is nothing to be ashamed. He who may win my lady's favour has every reason to be proud of his fortune. Altogether seemly would be your friendship, for you are young and she is fair. The knight made answer to the maiden, I am so fast in the snare that I pray the fowler to slay me, if she may not free me from the net. Counsel me, fair sweet friend if I may hope of kindness at her hand. Then the maiden of her sweetness comforted the knight, and assured him of all the good that she was able. So courteous and debonair was the maid. 
when the lady had heard mass she hastened back to her chamber she had not forgotten her friend and greatly she desired to know whether he was awake or asleep whom her heart was fain she bade her maiden to summon him to her chamber but she had a certain thing in her heart to show him at leisure were it for the joy or the sorrow of their days gugemar saluted the lady and the dame returned the knight his courtesy but their hearts were too fearful for speech the knight dared ask nothing of his lady for reason that he was a stranger in a strange land, and was adread to show her his love. But, as says the proverb, he who will not tell of his sore may not hope for balm to his hurt. Love is a privy wound within the heart, and none knoweth of that bitterness but the heart alone. Love is an evil which may last for a whole life long, because of man and his constant heart. Many there be who make of love a jibe and a jest and with specious words defame him by boastful tales. But theirs is not love. Rather it is folly and lightness, and the tune of a merry song. But let him who has found a constant lover prize her above rubies, and serve her with loyal service, being altogether at her will. Ugamar loved in this fashion, and therefore love came swiftly to his aid. Love put words in his mouth, encouraging his heart, so that his hope might be made plain. Lady, said he, I die for your love. I am in fever because of my wound, and if you care not to heal my hurt, I would rather die. Fair friend, I pray you for grace. Do not gainsay me with evil words. The lady hearkened with a smile to Gugemar's speech. Right daintily and sweetly she replied, Friend, yea, is not a word of two letters. I do not grant such a prayer every day of the week, and must you have your gift so quickly? lady cried he for god's sake pity me and take it not amiss she who loves lightly may make her lover pray for long so that she may hide how often her feet have trodden the pathway with another friend but the honest dame when she has once given her heart to a friend will not deny his wish because of pride the rather she will find her pride in humbleness and love him again with the same love he has set on her so they will be glad together and since none will have knowledge or hearing of the matter, they will rejoice in their youth. Fair sweet lady, bid this thy pleasure. When the lady heard these words well, she found them honest and true. Therefore, without further prayings and ado, she granted Gugumar her love and her kiss. Henceforth, Gugumar lived greatly at his ease, for he had sight and speech of his friend, and many times she granted him her embrace and tenderness, as is the wont of lovers when alone. For a year and a half Gugumar dwelt with his lady in solace and great delight. Then fortune turned her wheel, and in a trice cast those down whose seat had been so high. Thus it chanced to them, that they were spied upon and seen. On a morning in summer-time, the queen and her demoiselle sat fondly together. The knight embraced her eyes and face, but the lady stayed him, saying, Fair sweet friend, my heart tells me that I shall lose you soon. But this hidden thing will quickly be made clear. If you are slain, may the same sword kill me. But if you win forth, well I know that you will find another love, and that I shall be left alone with my thoughts. Where I parted from you, may God give me neither joy nor rest nor peace, if I would seek another friend. Or, of that, you need have no fear. Friend, for surety and comfort of my heart, deliver me now some sort of thine. Therein I will set a knot, and make this covenant with you, that never will you put your love on dame or maiden, 
save only on her who shall first unfasten this knot for you will ever keep faith with me for so cunning shall be my craft that no woman may hope to unravel that coil either by force or guile or even with her knife so the knight rendered his the sark to his lady and made such bargain as she wished for the peace and assurance of her mind for his part the knight took a fair girdle and girt it closely about the lady's middle right secret was the clasp and buckle of this girdle therefore he required of the dame that she would never grant her love save to him only who might free her from the strictness of this bond without injury to band or clasp then they kissed together and entered into such covenant as you have heard that very day their hidden love was made plain to men a certain chamberlain was sent by that ancient lord with a message to the queen this unlucky wretch finding that in no wise could he enter within the chamber looked through the window and saw forthwith he hastened to the king and told him that which he had seen when the aged lord understood these words never was there a sadder man than he he called together the most trusty sergeants of his guard and coming with them to the queen's chamber bade them to thrust in the door when Gugemar was found therein, the king commanded that he should be slain with the sword by reason of the anguish that was his. Gugemar was in no whit dismayed by the threat. He started to his feet, and gazing round, marked a stout rod of fur, on which it is the use for linen to be hung. This he took in hand and faced his foes, bidding them have a care, for he would do a mischief to them all. The king looked earnestly upon the fearless knight, inquiring of him who he was, and where he was born and in what manner he came to dwell within his house. So Gugemar told over to him this story of his fate. He showed him of the beast that he had wounded to his hurt, of the knave and of his bitter wound, of how he came within the realm and of the lady's surgery. He told all to the ancient lord to the last moment where he stood within his power. The king replied that he gave no credence to his word, nor believed that the story ran as he had said. If, however, the vessel might be found, he would commit the knight again to the waves. He would go the more heavily for the knight's signing, and a glad day would it be if he made shipwreck at sea. When they had entered into this covenant together, they went forth to the harbour, and there discovered the barge, even as Gugemar had said. So they set him thereon, and prayed him to return unto his own realm. Without sail or oar, the ship parted from that coast with no further tarrying, the knight wept and wrung his hands, complaining of his lady's loss and of her cherishing. He prayed the mighty God to grant him speedy death, and never to bring him home, save to meet again with her who was more desirable than life. Whilst he was yet at his orisons, the ship drew again to that port from whence she had first come. Gugamar made haste to get him from the vessel, so that he might the more swiftly return to his own land. He had gone but a little way when he was aware of a squire of his household riding in the company of a certain knight. This squire held the bridle of a destrier in his hand, though no man rode thereon. Gugemar called to him by name, so that the varlet looking upon him knew again his lord. He got him to his feet, and bringing the destrier to his master, set the knight thereon. Great was the joy, and merry was the feast, when Gugemar returned to his own realm. But though his friends did all that they were able, Neither song nor game could cheer the knight, nor turn him from dwelling in his unhappy thoughts. For peace of mind they urged that he took to himself a wife, but Gugemar would have none of their counsel. Never would he wed a wife on any day, either for love or for wealth, 
save only that she might first unloose the knot within his shirt. When this news was noised about the country, there was neither ding nor damsel in the realm of Brittany, but essayed to unfasten the knot. But there was no lady who could gain to her wish, whether by force or guile. Now will I show of that lady whom Bougamar so fondly loved. By the counsel of a certain baron, the ancient king set his wife in prison. She was shut fast in the tower of grey marble, where her days were bad, and her nights worse. No man could make clear to you the great pain, the anguish, and the dolour that she suffered in this tower, wherein, I protest, she died daily. Two years and more she lay bound in prison, where warders came, but never joy or delight. Often she thought upon her friend. Gugumar, dear lord, in an evil hour I saw you with my eyes. Better for me that I die quickly than endure longer my evil lot. Fair friend, if I could but win to that coast whence you sailed, very swiftly would I fling myself in the sea and end my wretched life. When she had said these words, she rose to her feet, and coming to the door was amazed to find therein neither bolt nor key. She issued forth without challenge from sergeant or warder, and hastening to the harbour, found there her lover's ship made fast to that very rock from which she would cast her down. When she saw the barge, she climbed thereon, but presently bethought her that on this nave her friend had gone to perish in the sea. At this thought she would have fled again to the shore, but her bones were as water, and she fell upon the deck. So in sore travail and sorrow, the vessel carried her across the waves to a port of Brittany, guarded by a castle, strong and very fair. Now the lord of this castle was named Mariadus. He was a right warlike prince, and had made him ready to fight with the prince of a country nearby. He had risen very early in the morning, sent forth a great company of spears, the more easily to ravage this neighbour's realm. Mariadus looked forth from his window and marked the ship which came to port. He hastened down the steps of the peron, and calling to his chamberlain, came with what speed he might to the nave. Then mounting the ladder, he stood upon the deck, and Mariadus found within the ship a dame, who for beauty seemed rather a fay than a mere earthly woman. He seized her by her mantle, and brought her swiftly to his keep. Right joyous was he because of his good fortune, for lovely was the lady beyond mortal measure. He made no question as to who had set her on the barge. He knew only that she was fair and of high lineage, and that his heart turned towards her with so hot a love as never before had he put on dame or damsel. Now there dwelt within the castle a sister of this lord who was yet unwed. Mariatus bestowed the lady in his sister's chamber, because it was the fairest in the tower. Moreover, he commanded that she should be meetly served, and held in all reverence. But though the dame was so richly clothed and cherished, ever was she sad and deep in thought. Mariatus came often to cheer her with mirth and speech, by reason that he wished to gain her love as a free gift, and not by force. It was in vain that he prayed her for grace, since she had no balm for his wound. For answer she showed him the girdle about her body, saying that never would she give her love to man, save only to him who might unloosen the buckle of that girdle, without harm to belt or clasp. When Mariatus heard these words, he spoke in haste, and said, lady that dwells in this country, a very worthy knight, who will take no woman as wife, except she first untie a certain crafty knot in the hem of the shirt, and that without force or knife. For a little, I would wager that it was you who tied this knot. 
When the lady heard thereof, her breath went from her, and near she came to falling on the ground. Marietta caught her in his arms and cut the laces of her bodice that she might have the more air. He strove to unfasten her girdle, but might not dissever the clasp. Yea, though every knight in the realm essayed to unfasten that cincture, it would not yield except to one alone. Now Mariatus made the list ready for a great jousting, and called to that tournament all the knights who would aid him in his war. Many a lord came at his bidding, and with them Gugemar, amongst the first. Mariatus had sent letters to the knight, beseeching him as friend and companion not to fail him in his business. So Gugemar hastened to the need of his lord, and at his back more than one hundred spears. All these Mariatus welcomed very gladly, and gave them lodging within his tower. In honour of his guest, the prince sent two gentlemen to his sister, praying her to attire herself richly, and come to hall together with the dame whom he loved so dearly well. These did as they were bidden, and arrayed in their sweetest vesture, presently entered in the hall, holding each other by the hand. Very pale and pensive was the lady, but when she heard her lover's name, her feet failed beneath her, and had not the maiden held her fast, she would have fallen on the floor. Gugemar rose from his seat at the sight of the dame, her fashion and her semblance, and stood staring upon her. He went a little part, and said within himself, Can this be my sweet friend, my hope, my heart, my life, the fair lady who gave me the grace of her love? From whence comes she, who might have brought her to this far land? But I speak in my folly, for well I know that this is not my dear, a little red, a little white, and all women are thus shapen. My thoughts are troubled by reason that the sweetness of this lady resembles the sweetness of that other, for whom my heart sighs and trembles, yet needs must that I have speech of the lady. Gugemar drew near to the dame. He kissed her courteously, and found no word to utter, save to pray that he might be seated at her side. Mariatus spied upon them closely, and was the more heavy because of their trouble. Therefore he feigned mirth. Gugemar, dear lord! If it pleases you, let this damsel essay to untie the knot of your sark, if so be she may loosen the coil. Gugemar made answer that very willingly he would do this thing. He called to him a squire who had the shirt in keeping, and bade him seek his charge and deliver it to the dame. The lady took the sark in hand. Well she knew the knot that she had tied so cunningly, and was so willing to unloose. But for reason of the trouble at her heart, she did not dare essay. Mariatus marked the distress of the damsel, and was more sorrowful than ever with lover before. Lady, said he, do all that you are able to unfasten this coil. So at his commandment she took again to her the hem of the shirt, and lightly and easily unravelled the tie. Gugumar marvelled greatly when he saw this thing. His heart told him that of a truth this was his lady, but he could not give faith to his eyes. Friend, are you indeed the sweet comrade I have known? Tell me truly now, is there about your body the girdle with which I girt you in your own realm? He set his hands to her waist and found that the secret belt was yet about her sides. Fair sweet friend, tell me now by what adventure I find you here and who has brought you to this tower. So the lady told over to her friend the pain and the anguish and the dolour of the prison in which she was held and how it chanced that she fled from her dungeon, and lighting upon a ship, entered therein, and came to this fair haven, of how Mariatus took her from the barge, and kept her in all honour, 
save only that ever he sought for her love. But now, fair friend, all is well, for you hold your lady in your arms. Gugumar stood upon his feet, and beckoned with his hand. Lords, he cried, hearken now to me. I have found my friend, whom I have lost for a great while. For you all I pray and require of Mariadus to yield me my own. For this grace I give him open thanks. Moreover, I will kneel down and become his liege man. For two years or three, if he will, I will bargain to serve in his quarrels, and with me of riders a hundred or more at my back. Then answered Mariadus, Gugamar, fair friend, I am not yet so shaken or overborne in war that I must do as you wish right humbly. This woman is my captive. I found her. I hold her. And I will defend my right against you and all your power. When Gugamar heard these proud words, he got the horse speedily, him and all his company. He threw down his glove and parted in anger from the tower. But he went right heavily since he must leave behind his friend. In his train rode all those knights who were drawn together to that town for the great tournament. Not a knight of them all but plighted faith to follow where he led, and to hold himself recreant and shamed if he failed his oath. That same night the band came to the castle of the prince with whom Mariadus was at war. He welcomed them very gladly and gave them lodging in his tower. By their aid he had good hope to bring this quarrel to an end. Very early in the morning the host came together to set the battle in array. With clash of mail and noise of horns they issued from the city gate, Gugamar riding at their head. They drew before the castle where Mariadus lay in strength and sought to take it by storm. But the keep was very strong, and Mariadus bore himself as a stout and valiant knight. So Gugamar, like a weary captain, sat himself down before the town, till all the folk of that place were deemed by friend and sergeant to be weak with hunger. Then they took that high keep with the sword, and burnt it with fire. The lord thereof they slew in his own hall. Gugamar came forth, after such labours as you have heard, bearing his lady with him, to return in peace to his own land. From this adventure that I have told you has come the lay that minstrels chant to harp and viol. Fair is that song, and sweet the tune. End of chapter 2